Good morning. Hey, last week I launched us into a study in the book of Acts called Scattered. God's people in the early days of the church, they were scattered. I mean, they had gathered in the thousands to listen to Jesus or to receive a miracle. They had gathered and lined the streets at his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But at Jesus' arrest, everyone was scattered. And then after the resurrection, Jesus reached out to his disciples, some of his closest friends, men and women, and he told them to wait for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. What once was a crowd of thousands of fans quickly became just a couple hundred followers waiting in an upper room for the coming of the Holy Spirit in power. God's plan was to multiply this small group into millions, today billions of disciples, and to scatter them throughout the world because God's kingdom is a movement. But the disciples, they were waiting in the upper room. And let's face it, waiting can be really hard, right? I mean, each of us are waiting in our homes, waiting for this stay-at-home order to kind of lift, waiting on the end to this crisis, waiting on businesses to open, waiting to go back to work, waiting to hug a family member. I mean, my grandkids better watch out because when I get to hug them, I might not let go. But I hope in our waiting for all these things that we're waiting on God for, waiting and expecting God to do something at a deeper level in the heart, in our spiritual lives, and maybe even rearranging some of the things that we thought were so important but weren't, and waiting for and praying, asking God for his promised Holy Spirit to empower us and to fill and saturate us with Holy Spirit power. Acts chapter one, verse eight. You remember it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Everything we've read in the book of Acts moving forward revolves around that verse. Today, we're going to dive into Acts chapter two. So picture this small group of disciples waiting in a house, mostly sequestered, while this huge city is having a feast and it's approaching something called the Feast of Pentecost. And Penta means 50. And the feast comes 50 days after Passover. And this was one of the three required feasts that pilgrims from a multitude of different nations would journey to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the harvest. So when the city is bursting and full, around 30,000 people there, like in a Mardi Gras fashion, the Holy Spirit falls on these disciples. And the sound of what sounded like a rushing wind comes into the home and like tongues of fire over each one's head. And keep in mind that this house was accessible to the street and the disciples, as they're being filled with the Holy Spirit, they begin to speak in foreign languages. It was way better than Rosetta Stone. I'm telling you, they were equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit and be, began speaking in all of these different languages of the different nations. 
and the Christian movement started right there on the day of Pentecost. Every tribe and tongue was hearing the gospel preached in their own language. And everyone was amazed and perplexed, saying, hey, it's only like nine in the morning, but these guys seem like they're drunk. They are acting strange. It wasn't like Arborcrest wine. It was the Holy Spirit coming upon them in power, clothing them with a power from on high, just like what was promised. And then when God got everyone's attention, Peter speaks out to the masses of the nations that are gathered. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, here's what the Bible says. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Now I love verse 15. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Peter's like, hey man, it's not even lunchtime. Nobody is drunk here. What you're seeing is actually the fulfillment of this prophecy God gave us through the prophet Joel. And you'll remember Joel prophesied there would be a day when God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. Men and women and boys and girls, every culture, tribe and tongue having equal access to this promised blessing of supernatural power, the person of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want to point out about verse 14 and 15. God meets us where we are. And he meets us where we are physically. And he meets us where we are spiritually. Often when we least expect it. One summer, I was working in Texas with my brother Andy. And we were selling books. And that was a hard job. I mean, you end up with a lot of rejection every day. Well, I dropped Andy off to work in a neighborhood and I drove the car to the outskirts of the city and I started working in the rural area. And I had just become a Christian and Andy was still not real open. And so I was praying for my younger brother and I felt distinctly that the Holy Spirit was saying something to me, like giving me this idea that Andy is struggling. Go back now, find him and encourage him. So I went back to where I had left him and he's nowhere to be found. It's about 11, 11 in the morning. And so I drive around the neighborhood looking for him. Finally, I end up about two miles away from where I dropped him off and there's this strip mall. And so I go into the parking lot and feeling led by the Holy Spirit, I see this like little random bar and I decide to go there. Now, Andy's not a big drinker. No reason for him to have been there. But I, I end up opening the door and I walk in and there's Andy sitting, drinking a beer and eating an early lunch. And he was shocked. I was even more shocked. I mean, the spirit had led me right to where my brother was. And I told him, I wasn't stalking you, dude, really. But God led me here because he spoke to my heart and told me that you were struggling and that the Holy Spirit wanted to encourage you. And Andy said, I was just sitting here thinking about quitting, thinking about leaving, going home. But 
now I better rethink that. God showed up to Andy that day. Andy changed his mind about God. And to this day, he continues to follow Jesus with his whole heart. God meets you where you are. He shows up sometimes when you least expect it. Maybe at a football practice or driving your car to work or at a cemetery or in a bar. God met me one summer when I was 19 trying to figure my life out and he used the least likely person to tell me about him. See, the first Christian sermon is being preached at a festival built around this harvest. And I don't know how a devout Jew parties, but they're there and they were not expecting this. And I can guarantee you that wherever you are, God wants to find you in that place. Can you remember where did the Lord find you? What a big lie it is to think you or I can clean up our life first and then come to God. The thought that my life is too messed up, my choices have led me down the wrong path. Let me first start to get clean or finish this cycle of sin I'm in or whatever, and then come to him. And God comes to you right now in the middle of your mess. And he says, I died for you. I love you. And you need me now, not later. And son or daughter, you can't clean up your own life. You need me to do that. So Peter, he stood up at Pentecost at this huge party and God shows up and meets people where they are. And he says, this is the fulfillment of this long awaited promise. Look at verse 23. Here's what Peter tells them. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And then go down to verse 36. And he says it again to make sure that they didn't miss it the first time. Verse 36 says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom, what? You crucified twice now. Peter, in his sermon, says to this massive crowd, 50 or 60 days after the crucifixion of Christ, you killed Jesus. You killed him. God not only meets us where we are, but God also tells us the truth about ourselves. And sometimes that truth is painful. I mean, there are tens of thousands of people in this crowd. And he says to this crowd, you killed Jesus. You're responsible for the death of Jesus. You did this. And here's what has to be true. Not everyone in this crowd that Peter was talking to was responsible directly for the death of Jesus, physically or actively. Not everyone knew Jesus or witnessed his death. I mean, you, you weren't there. I wasn't there. That was like over 2,000 years ago. I wasn't there. And yet, none of that seems to bother Peter. He says, you killed him. In case you didn't hear me, let me just say it again. You killed him. He doubles down on what he was saying. How can this be true? That we would be guilty 
of the murder of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone is guilty. And this becomes so important to us to understand. When it comes to sin, it's this level playing field. Doesn't matter if you were raised in the best religious home or if you've led a life of drunken debauchery, the ground is all level. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us everyone watching today, myself included, are guilty of these three things. We've all preferred creation to the creator. We don't want God, we want his stuff. We all have thought at times we're smarter than God and that we know better than God how to make ourselves happy. Nobody would ever say that with their mouth. But when we pursue our own happiness and live under our own authority, we are wanting to be our own God. And that is rebellion and that is sin. And that is why Christ went to the cross. And that is how I helped crucify him. Most of us know we've fallen short. I felt the guilt. I felt the shame before anyone told me. But God so loved the world that he died. And by grace, you are saved. He tells us this truth about ourselves, that you and I have fallen short. And yet the hope is found in God being honest with us and in God's love. We're broken. We are busted. We are rebellious. We are prone to wander. We are wicked. We're lustful. We're materialistic. And we're self-seeking. I mean, we're self-centered. We do worship ourselves and worship creation more than the creator. And yet the good news is that despite our rebellion and because Jesus went to the cross and died for you and me, that I am now no longer doomed or destined for hell or to live alone in a Christless eternity. Because Jesus' victory over the grave is also my victory and your victory over the grave. It's because of Jesus that we are forgiven, set free and made alive. And then where the gospel is proclaimed, we must respond. Let me show you how they responded in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. When they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Do you see what happens there? Peter clearly tells them the truth that you killed him. Your sin sent him to that cross but thanks be to God, his love and his power raised Jesus from the dead. And the Holy Spirit has now been poured out. And that's what you're seeing here today. Their guilt coupled with this offer of forgiveness and grace. And the Bible says it cuts them to the heart. And they say, what do we do? I mean, what are we supposed to do in light of all these things? The truth requires a response. The crowd says, what do we do? And Peter answers them in Acts 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive 
the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. Repent means a change of mind and direction. Make a new decision and head in a new direction. Can I ask you, have you done that yet? And that's exactly what happened. 3,000 people put their faith in Christ Jesus. And these lives would be changed forever. And this is the birth of the New, Ch New Testament church. These new converts, they exchange a devotion to themselves, to their own self-centeredness, to a new kind of devotion. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. These men and women are devoted to learning the Bible. They're devoted to one another. And awe marks this new church because God isn't finished doing miracles. And this leads to a new kind of generosity. Before Jesus, it was every man for himself. Look out for number one. But look what happens in verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So devoted to the teaching and to the one another's, they were, they're selling their possessions whenever they find that there's someone in need. And if they got a stimulus check, first thing they're doing is asking God, is there someone in need that could use this? Is there some way that I can share this? Nobody was making it about themselves and nobody was being forced or coerced. It was in their hearts to do. They even downsized and sold stuff in order to free up capital to serve their brothers and sisters. That's a new kind of devotion and a new kind of generosity that marked God's people. And of course, this led to a new kind of joy we see in verse 46. And day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. I mean, think how different you are when you're aware of all that God has done for you. His love and His grace, it moves you to action, not to apathy. Devotion takes root and generosity takes root. Joy takes root. And ultimately, this is what God begins to do in the heart of his people. This is a beautiful picture of what a church can be like, joyful and generous and devoted. And that is who God has called us to be as we scatter throughout Spokane and throughout the world. God meets us where we are. He doesn't say, get it together and then come to me. He says, if you are weary from trying, weighed down with burdens, struggling to change, or you look back and you just see hurt, or you're struggling with unforgiveness towards yourself or others, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. 
Come to me and cast your cares on me because I care for you. Come to me and let me be the forgiver of your sins and the Lord of your new life. He offered that to them back then and he's still offering it to us today. He offers you abundant life and it requires taking personal responsibility for our own sin and knowing that I've got to change my mind and change my direction, which simply means that we let God in. And then he invites you into a new community of faith to encourage you along the way as you pursue God with a new devotion and a new generosity and experience a new kind of joy. May the Holy Spirit empower each one of us as we live out that kind of truth and be that kind of church. Let's pray together. Right where you're at, would you just spend this moment with God and allow him to do something fresh in your heart? I want to pray and ask that you just join me in this prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on that cross, paying the penalty of my sin. Lord, I own that, that in part my sin drove that nail through your hand and feet. And Lord, I pray that you forgive me. I'm asking God that you come in by the power of your Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit to live in me and to work through me. Lord, thank you that you meet us right where we're at. That we don't have to clean up our ways and change everything before we come to you, but that you're right now in this place coming to us and saying, I'm inviting you into a relationship and let me change you from the inside out. And so God, I open my heart to that. I ask that you come in and begin that work of change and restoration. Free me from every addictive pattern. Free me, God, and bring me into this abundant life. And Lord, we just thank you that you're a good God and that you have done amazing things in our life. So now, Lord, as you are causing a new generosity and a new joy and a new devotion to well up within us, Lord, will you help us live it out every day in our homes and in our city and throughout this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you in this next song just to continue to offer your heart to God as we worship together.
Sing this together, your promise. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never failed me yet. You've never failed me. That's your promise, God. Thank you for your promise. God, that's our declaration this morning. That is our prayer and our hope is that regardless of our circumstances that we would choose to praise you. Lord, let us remember that worshiping you is what we were made to do. You're the only thing that matters, God, and we thank you for your presence um, in the midst of these chaotic times, Lord, but regardless, help us to focus and to choose joy and to choose worshiping you. You can do all things and you will see us through all things for we are promised life and life abundantly in who you are and your purpose for how you made us, Jesus. We're so thankful for that. It's in your name we pray these precious things. Thank you for joining us today. Join us next week at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. for our services here at Church Online.